Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. What of the sparrow, what of the wind, what of the swirling stars, how does the creature say, Reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. How does the The skies announce what her hands have made. Each new day tells more of the story, and each night reveals more and more about God's power. You cannot hear them say anything, 
They don't make any sound we can hear, but their message goes throughout the world. Their teaching reaches the ends of the earth. The sun's tent is set up in the heavens. It comes out like a happy newlywed from their bedroom. It begins its path across the sky like an athlete eager to run a race. It starts at one end of the sky and runs all the way to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. God's teachings are perfect. They give strength to her people. God's rules can be trusted. They help even the foolish become wise. God's laws are right. They make people happy. God's commands are good. They show people the right way to live. Learning respect for God is good. It will last forever. God's judgments are right. They are fair. God's teachings are worth more than pure gold. They are sweeter than the best honey dripping from the honeycomb. Her teachings warm her servants, and good things come to those who obey them. People cannot see their own mistakes, so don't let me commit secret sins. Don't let me do what I know is wrong. Don't let sin control me. If you help me, I can be pure and free from sin. May my words and thoughts please you. God, you are my rock, the one who rescues me. pray with me, please. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Have you ever wondered about the prayer that we just prayed? Where did it come from? Why do we say it each week before the message? Perhaps you've been in other churches and you've heard this prayer prayed uh, by the preacher or in the case of Epworth, by the preacher and the congregation as the sermon is about to begin. Well, if you listened closely to the scripture read this morning by the Tobin Lindsay family, you heard these same words as the scripture closed. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God, my rock and my Redeemer. The weekly prayer we offer as we prepare to listen for God through words and interpretations and inspirations is from Psalm 19. The collection of Psalms we have in our Bible derives from the ninth to the fifth century before the Common Era, written over this period of several centuries. And though many of the Psalms are said to have been written by King David, the reality is that scholars disagree and the full authorship of our Psalms is really unknown. The book of Psalms in our Bible contains 150 distinct Psalms, although some scholars think that uh, a couple of the Psalms have, that are really one have been divided into two, maybe to make this nice round number of 150. And our Psalms fall into four distinct categories. And those categories are hymns, laments, royal Psalms, and Psalms of Thanksgiving. 
Psalm 19, which is our psalm for today, falls into the hymn category. The psalms are essentially poetry, and Psalm 19 is one of the finest examples of the Hebrew poetic parallel structure. We see this as the psalm begins in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of God's hands. In which heavens in the first line parallels skies in the second, followed by declare, which parallels proclaim, and so forth. The structure matters not only in the way it causes a lyrical effect, making these psalms and hymns pleasant and rhythmic to listen to, offering us comfort and and a, a sense of inclusion. The structure also matters because it makes clear out of which tradition this hymn comes, the Hebrew poetic parallel tradition. This particular psalm is a hymn of praise for the Creator and communicates a vision of creation's praise for the Creator. At the time of the writing of this psalm in the ancient Near East, where it was written, dominant cultures worshipped not our God, but the sun. We see an acknowledgement of the place the sun had in the consciousness of the people of the day in verse 6. Hear these words again. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. This indicates that the sun, much more than the moon, was regarded as the sovereign celestial body, ruler of the day by the people of the ancient Near East, but not the Hebrews. Heaven, the sun's um, natural place of authority, is entirely subject to its dominion in their understanding. Nothing is deprived of its warmth refers not only to the, the sun's absolute dominion over the sky, but is probably also a good uh, a reference to the widespread belief in the ancient Near East of the sun as an all-seeing, all-knowing, all-revealing presence of justice from whom nothing nefarious could be concealed. This psalm, however, puts forth a very different theological understanding that there is something beyond mere creation, something beyond the sun to be praised. It acknowledges that, yes, there are people in this culture who who worship the sun, but we go beyond that. Our God is an awesome God, and that even creation praises this entity beyond itself. Then the psalmist moves away from the focus on the common recipient of praise at the time and pivots back towards God. The law of God is perfect, the psalmist says, reviving the soul. The testimony of God is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings 
of the honeycomb. Such beautiful words. And yet this was a countercultural claim that though the sun had dominion over the skies, God has dominion over the sun and all of the heavens, all of creation. And that God's dominion surpasses our understanding. To proclaim an authority other than the one others say is in charge is to take a risk. We typically think of praise as a light and enjoyable activity. The phrase praise music comes to mind, a style of contemporary worship music that's peppy and upbeat and joyful. But to offer praise, particularly in a mixed theological setting, as was the ancient Near East, as, as is uh, some settings today, is to take a risk and a kind of gravity is required that we would do well not to overlook. When we offer praise, we are taking a risk in three particular ways. First, we are articulating a distinct uh, reality and a distinct authority. Second, to express praise, we must make ourselves vulnerable. And third, to offer praise is to express a commitment to the one who is being praised. We risk naming uh, reality and and authority. We risk by being vulnerable, and we risk in our expression of our commitment. And it is these risks in praise that give it its power. When we offer praise, we are expressing a vertical relationship with a higher power in and over our lives. We are telling the world what we love, what we enjoy, who we appreciate, who we honor, what we rely on, who we rely on. In an era both then and now, many authorities and entities compete for our loyalty. And in some settings, adherence to the dominant authority is an assurance of safety. The ancient Hebrews were aware of the risk that they were taking by saying God alone is God and God alone is worthy of praise, but still found a way to proclaim who their God is and what difference that makes for for the reality they experience. They found a way to do this even in a complicated environment and not just survive, but necessarily thrive. Consider verses 2 through 4 and hear these words again. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. This is interesting here. It sounds contradictory. The psalmist here is taking considerable pains to construct this elaborate image of vocality, only to insist that the celestial communication which breaks into human perception does so without the necessity of speech. This might seem paradoxical. There's praise for speech, then praise for communication without words. But in ancient Israel, the Israelites 
had distinguished themselves theologically from traditions that gave consciousness to elements of creation, such as the sun, by saying that only the Creator had ultimate knowledge of the divine. To offer praise, they had to describe that ultimate reality they were praising. And to describe, just like to name, is a way of having power over that which is being named or described. So to maintain the rightful place of God as worthy to be praised and beyond human comprehension, this poetic paradox is constructed. Second, to really praise God, we can also see how we are required to risk being vulnerable. Just like love defies a perfect explanation and description, so too does our Creator. In opening our mouths to offer praise, we know before we even begin that our praise will be imperfect. And yet we accept that imperfection, opening our hearts to the attempt, because the attempt is what matters. Think of, uh, uh, for a minute, about someone you love. Hold the image now of that person and feel the warmth of love you have for that person in your heart. Would it be possible not to express this feeling? Is it ever possible, on the other hand, to express it fully? And yet, we try. We must try. Poets and playwrights, sages and songstresses throughout the ages have attempted this expression. How much more then must we express our delight and joy in the, the one of our ultimate love, our God, even though it makes us vulnerable to do so, to expose our hearts and to know that our expression will never fully capture the reality of God. And finally, in offering praise, we risk in making clear who and whose we are. When we lift a psalm of praise, we communicate where we stand, which is in the goodness and grace and mercy of God. And yet to fully receive these good gifts, our commitment to our relationship with God is necessary as we, as we open ourselves and we express this commitment in praise. The beautiful thing about this um, is that this, this commitment is less about achieving some bar of fidelity and much more about just opening ourselves to God's presence and reality, opening ourselves to the love of the Creator. In praise, we acknowledge God's power, and, and in acknowledging God's power, we are freed to just be human. We aren't God. We are in praise of the Creator. We are in praise of God. And when we do that, it reminds us that we are not God. To be human is to live and to grow and to learn. What a gift that is. We're not God. And to be human is also to be able to make mistakes, to necessarily make some mistakes, to forgive and be forgiven, to struggle, but also to find in God and in naming who God is a release from these things. You may have heard the phrase, we are human beings, 
not human doings. When we offer praise, acknowledging the doing of our creator in all of its complexity, unknowingness, and goodness, then we see that the ultimate responsibility for doing, for bringing about this, bringing about this or that, or making this or that happen, does not rest with us. It rests with God. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We are all called to act in this world. But in praise of the one God, we are reminded that our actions too are offerings. We can act and release and we can also just be. The movement of Psalm 19 goes from the cosmic to the intimately personal. And this is what takes place in worship. We enter into a space of the ineffable and the holy. Then we hear a word that is expressly for us. We experience a presence of divine goodness and then feel the care in the passing of the peace or a prayer that is offered for our need. Our God makes all of this possible and we participate in this relationship and reality through praise. Then this peace and presence, this good news follows us out of the worship space and fills and orders and, and, and animates our lives. The last verse of Psalm 19 reflects our desire to be in this praise-filled relationship with God and reflects the reality that we are. It reflects our commitment to naming who and whose we are, and and it names and confirms our reality of a God who is strength and salvation. Praise frees us. Praise frees us to be. Praise frees us to be God's people. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great day.